0: Well, without a doubt, there is nothing bigger in the news this week than the leak this last Monday of a draft majority Supreme Court opinion on a decision that would overturn the Supreme Court's 1973 Roe v. Wade decision. This is truly historic and monumental news, and. It brought the concepts of courts and justices, judges and judgment into the forefront of our national mindset in a spectacular way this last week. And as is often the case, the news fits perfectly with what we are going to be considering in the scriptures today. I didn't plan it this way, couldn't have planned it this way, but I couldn't have planned it any better either. So uh, we're going to be in a passage of scripture today that deals with judgment. The reason that the court's decision is such huge and historic news is because the issue of abortion, which is obviously the core focus of Roe v. Wade, the issue of abortion is the major political dividing point in American society. And it has been for for decades, for all of my life and more. For those that have strong religious affiliation in America, especially Christians, a candidate's policy, their views on abortion are often at the top of the list for making voting decisions in the US. And for those that are ideologically left-leaning or progressive, maybe wouldn't identify necessarily as religious or Christian most often, it's no different. That often is the major determiner for a lot of people, or at least it's at the top of the list of things that they're going to be considering when they are casting their vote. If you're on the right, it is highly likely that you are pro-life. And if you are on the left, then it is equally as likely that you are pro-abortion. I'm not sure that there is a more inflamed debate in America than the topic of abortion, which means that As soon as the leak hit the news this last Monday evening, social media was lit, and the condemnations began flying. Some on the left, they were saying things like, you hate women. You hate women and want them to die. You want women to be subjugated and enslaved. You don't care about choices. And then some people on the right would respond, well, you hate babies and you wanna kill babies and you don't care about life. In such an environment, it is virtually impossible to have a calm, coherent conversation with someone who believes other than you do. The chaos that I anticipated at the beginning of 2020, It just continues, it continued through 2020, 2021, and well on into 2022, and we're not even really full way half through the year yet. And you can be certain that the chaos of the next six months leading up to the midterm elections is just gonna be crazy once again. But when major divisive issues, like those that are in the news this week, when they come up, And individuals, they they line up with their side on the right or the left, pointing the finger of condemnation at the other side, shouting things like, you hate women or you hate babies. At that time, when there is this contention and condemnation, the teaching of Jesus in Matthew chapter seven, I don't think it could be any more appropriate. We read in Matthew chapter seven, verse one, the opening verse, judge not, that you be not judged." Now this is a favorite verse of a lot of people who have never read the Bible. My friend, David Guzik, commenting on this passage, he says, "...among those who seem to know nothing of the Bible," this is the verse that seems to be the most popular. In 2008, when the debate over same-sex marriage was at a fever pitch here in my state in California, This verse was thrown around quite frequently by people who are not necessarily Christians or churchgoers. More than a few times, I have heard people say to Christians, these are people who aren't Christians, saying to Christians, you're not a very good Christian because Jesus said, thou shalt not judge. This is perhaps the most well-known, least known teaching of the Bible. It is right up there with another most well-known, least known teaching of the Bible and that is that God helps those who help themselves. And I say most well-known, least known teachings of the Bible because the Bible doesn't teach either of those things. It does not teach thou shalt not judge, and it does not teach that um, God helps those who help themselves. So the Bible doesn't teach those things, but a lot of people think that the Bible does teach that. Now, I absolutely love when I hear someone say something like, how dare you judge me, you bigot. They, They don't recognize that, They just did the very thing that they are chastening someone from apparently doing. But in actuality, it is impossible for us to not judge. We would not survive as individuals, or really, I don't think we'd survive as a species if we did not make manifold judgments continuously. We judge foods that we should or should not eat. We judge places that we should or should not go. We judge people we should or should not associate with. Every single day, you and I make judgment after judgment, and you have to do that to survive. The problem is, as we all know very, very well, our prejudice, which simply means our prejudgment, is not always valid or accurate, right, or true. There there are times where we make wrong judgments, snap judgments of people or of things. So we get it wrong. And because we get it wrong, Jesus teaches something very important in this passage about judgment. Does Jesus teach thou shalt not judge? Well, the answer to that question is no, that's not what this passage is teaching as we are going to see. And ultimately this passage isn't really entirely about judgment or judging as much as it is about humility and self-examination, and then our own personal individual transformation. It's important for us to remember the context where this teaching is found. The larger context of our current study here at Cross Connection Church is in jesus's teaching that is called the sermon on the mount we're doing a short series the last two weeks this week and the next week called unmasking jesus where we are looking at some passages of scripture that i think are sometimes overlooked from jesus and sometimes misunderstood by jesus but are very applicable for us at this moment so this teaching in matthew chapter 7 the first five verses that we're going to consider today it is In the midst of that context, as Jesus is teaching his disciples, Matthew chapters five, six, and seven, he is speaking to his followers, those who we would identify as disciples of Jesus. And he is talking about the importance of true righteousness, the religious leaders of Jesus's day. He identifies them in this passage and in other places as well as the scribes and the Pharisees. They considered themselves and in many cases they were considered by others, to be righteous. But Jesus teaches in the Sermon on the Mount, these words that we looked at last week and the week before in Matthew chapter 5, verse 20. He said, unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, these were the most religiously righteous people of Jesus' day, unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, I think this was probably a a shocking statement that Jesus gave to his followers. Most of his followers, the people that he was speaking to at that point in time, they were common people. They were farmers, they were fishermen, they were carpenters, they were tax collectors, all kinds of different jobs, just kind of normal things, but they were not the hyper-religious, the hyper-spiritual. And so he says to them, your righteousness needs to be greater than the most religiously righteous. And I think that was probably shocking. You see, while the Pharisees and the scribes considered themselves righteous and were considered by many people to be righteous, what they actually had was when you really deconstructed and look at it, they had a superficial self-righteousness that was, according to Jesus, only skin deep. It was not kingdom worthy. And I say that it was only skin deep or that it was shallow righteousness because In another place, that's exactly what Jesus says. In Matthew chapter 23, we read these words about the scribes and the Pharisees. He says in verse 25 of Matthew 23, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you cleanse the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of extortion and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisees first cleanse the inside of the cup and dish that the outside of them may be clean also. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, For you are like whitewashed tombs, which indeed appear beautiful outwardly, but inside are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. Even so, you also outwardly appear righteous to men, but inside you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Look at the poetic back and forth between outside and inside in that passage. You scribes and Pharisees on the outside, you look really good to everybody on the inside. You're full of wickedness. So it was a shallow righteousness. But if you are going to be right before God, which is far more important than being right before men, especially if you desire to see the kingdom of God or heaven, then you must have a righteousness that exceeds or is far greater than the superficial self-righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees. This entire teaching in the Sermon on the Mount is, I believe, pointing us to true righteousness in Christ. As his followers and as his disciples. So we considered the path into righteousness a couple of weeks ago when we started in Matthew chapter 5. And that path into righteousness, it begins by acknowledging and, and recognizing our poverty of spirit, recognizing that in and of ourselves, we do not have righteousness before a holy God. We see that in Matthew chapter 5, verse 3, where Jesus said, Blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Notice that he said in Matthew 5, verse 20, that the the scribes and the Pharisees had a righteousness that would not get them into the kingdom of heaven. But in Matthew 5, 3, he says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So the right path into righteousness and the right path into the kingdom of heaven, it begins with being in that place of being poor in spirit, having poverty of spirit, which I think means to acknowledge and to recognize our spiritual poverty before a holy God. And then that leads right into the next verses at the opening of Matthew chapter five. We, we recognize and realize our own deficit and then we humbly mourn over that deficit and over that lostness. Matthew chapter five, verse four, blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek and that is connected to humility for they shall inherit the earth. And then that leads into the very next thing, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those that mourn, blessed are the meek. And then finally, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, a righteousness that's not their own. It's not manufactured by their own keeping of the rules and regulations and statutes and laws and rituals and all that sort of stuff. Jesus says, Matthew chapter five, verse six, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they shall be filled. That is the path, the path into a true righteousness. A righteousness that exceeds is greater than a superficial, self-righteousness, the religious self-righteousness of the Pharisees and the scribes. And it's as we go through that path, recognizing our deficit, our poverty of spirit, mourning over it, being humbled, hungering and thirsting for righteousness, then that leads us into a place where we are seeking to walk after the pattern of Jesus as his disciples. And then in our time last week in Matthew chapter six, we considered a, a contrast between superficial self-righteous religious devotion and truly righteous devotion that is before God and not necessarily before man. You see, the scribes and the Pharisees, the worldly righteous, if you will, they did their good works, they gave, they prayed, they fasted, they possessed their wealth. They did all of this to be seen by people. It was not about God, it was about them and who they were in the eyes of other people, not them and who they were in the eyes of God. And so we we saw that in Matthew chapter six last week. Now this week, we're gonna continue with that contrast in a sense, and a call to a wholly different kind of righteousness, not a superficial self-righteousness, but a true righteousness. Remember, Jesus wants us to be truly righteous, not superficially self-righteous. And the fastest path, or perhaps you could say the path, the, the primary path, to superficial self-righteousness is hypocritically judging other people, which never engages in self-examination and is wholly the opposite of humility. But true righteousness requires the humility and self-examination of personal judgment. It is a bit of a jump ahead, but that the key focus of this passage of scripture as we're going to see is what we're gonna see in the very last verse, verse five, where we read these words. And this is kind of a, a trailer, a preface of where we're going in just a few minutes. But there in Matthew seven, verse five, Jesus says, "'Hypocrite, first remove the plank from your own eye, "'and then you will see clearly to remove the speck "'from your brother's eye.'" Now, I don't wanna to jump to that quite yet, but that's where we're going. But it's important for us to see that verse to, to understand this truth personal judgment, judging myself, that requires humility. It requires a self-examination. It's what one counseling discipleship program called biblical self-confrontation. And Matthew chapter seven, verse five is the core verse of that that whole program, which I went through about 20 years ago in a counseling class that I took. This book is called Biblical Self-Confrontation. It was a six month long class. And the, the core focus of that entire book was those words, hypocrite, first remove the plank from your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the plank from your brother's eye. That was a, a challenging class. At the time I was like 22, 23 years old. But I can say that that, that class really challenged me to take a look at my own life through the lens of scripture and to examine myself and to first remove the plank from my own eyes so I could see clearly to help other people. So that, that class was really transform, transformative in my life. It, it required me to look in the mirror of God's word and to see the dirt of my own life, which is not easy. Now, that's something that Pharisees don't do, self-examination and kind of an introspection using the the light of God's word to show what's really in our hearts and what's really in our lives. So Pharisees don't do that. And don't miss it. All of us can very easily become what my friend Larry Osborne calls accidental Pharisees if we are not very, very careful. So Jesus says in this passage, judge not that you be not judged. And he goes on verse two, for with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with the measure you use it, it will be measured back to you. Now, if you skip down 10 verses from Matthew chapter 7, verse 2 to Matthew chapter 7, verse 12, you will see the verse that we typically call the golden rule. There, Jesus says, therefore, whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. That's a, a fitting reminder at this point. It's the simple truth of what I like to call thumper theology. Do you remember Thumper from Disney's movie, Bambi. And in the movie, he says, if you can't say something nice, don't say nothing at all. And and so that's kind of that same sort of thinking here in this passage. And that's the same theme of what we find a few verses back there in Matthew chapter 7, verse 2. As I said previously, we can't not judge. Let me say that again, because sometimes we mix that up in our minds. We can't not judge. A life without judgment It might sound nice, but I don't think that it is possible. So if we must judge, and I I think we must, then we must keep this in our minds. My judgments of others must be humble and not hypocritical. And for both of those requirements to be met in my life, then I need to recognize that I will be judged with the same judgment by which I am judging others, we will be measured by the same standard by which we measure measure others. Uh, My friend, David Guzik on this, he says, according to the teaching of some rabbis in Jesus's time, God had two measures that he used to judge people. One was a measure of justice and the other a measure of mercy. And then he makes this statement, whichever measure you want God to use with you, you should use the same measure with others. We are going to make judgments of other people. It is part of being human. But when we do, when we judge others, we need to make sure that we are not judging them with a different standard than we would judge ourselves. Self-righteousness is always arrogant and hypocritical. It compares the best part of us with the worst part of others. And to this, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 10, verse 12, we dare not class ourselves or compare ourselves with those who commend themselves but they measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves are not wise. It is unwise to establish your goodness or your righteousness by looking at other people. It's very easy for us to do that because we can always find someone who is worse off than us. Now, I don't think that it is entirely possible to judge others without comparing ourselves to others. But first and foremost, we need to humbly consider ourselves in the light of Christ. Like I said, it's always easy for me to find someone who is, when I compare them to myself, a lot worse than me and makes me look pretty awesome. But the plumb line isn't the other guy down the street. It's not even the person sitting next to you as you're watching this the plumb line is jesus christ his perfect righteousness is the plumb line we saw that when we were back in matthew chapter 5 because jesus the christ the word of god he tells us what the true nature of the law is and he makes the law more weighty than the law ever seemed to be and what that does is it causes us to go all the way back to matthew chapter 5 verse 3 and recognize our poverty of spirit that we are we are lacking in righteousness so if my judgments of others are going to be humble and not hypocritical, then self-examination and self-confrontation, those things are necessary. They are essential. So Jesus continues, Matthew chapter seven, verse three. He says, and why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye and do not consider the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye and look, a plank is in your own eye. Now get this, it is very important in the Christian life and really in life in general, to help others to see clearly that they might change and be changed. But we need to engage in some humble introspection before we go and try to help other people see clearly. We first need to look at ourselves so that we're not hitting them with the big old plank that is in our eye as we're trying to help them with their speck that's in their eye. I am no help to others if I have not first examined and judged myself. Now, we love to say things like, I'm only trying to help. I'm just being honest. But have we honestly taken a look at ourselves through the lens of scripture, through the mirror of God's word to see what's actually in our lives? If not, then the first word of Matthew chapter 7, verse 5 is really important. Matthew 7, verse 5, it begins with this word, hypocrite, exclamation point. If you judge others by your self-righteous standard, without first judging yourself by a truly righteous standard, then you're a hypocrite. There's no way around this. You are a hypocrite and have Pharisees righteousness if you unrighteously judge other people. We don't like to hear that. We don't want to be called hypocrites. I don't want to be called a hypocrite. It probably bugs you if you're a Christian and you hear non-Christians say, well, the church is full of hypocrites. Now, the reality is that's probably true, but we don't want to hear that we're hypocrites. We don't want to be called a hypocrite. It bugs us. In fact, You might even at this point say, hey, pastor, why are you judging me when I'm saying, hey, if if you do these things, then you're a hypocrite. But it's important to recognize I'm not the one who's judging you. Jesus is the one. His word is the one there that says in red, hypocrite. So if you prejudge others without judging yourself, you might feel better about yourself. You might feel good about yourself because you can find people who are worse than you, but you might also be a Pharisee. You might be a good church-going person. You might drive the right speed on the freeway. You might carry the, the right kind of Bible, the right version of the Bible. You might have the right stickers on your car. You might vote for the right candidates. You might read the right news sites and watch the right movies and subscribe or unsubscribe to the right streaming services. You might drink or not drink the right beverages, and yet you might be a Pharisee. Seven times in Matthew chapter 23, when Jesus was speaking about the Pharisees, seven times he says in Matthew chapter 23, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, exclamation point. Woe is an expression of grief, and it's attached to the thought, how disastrous it will be for you. That's what he's saying to these very religious people. They were hyper-religious, and everybody looked up to them because man, they had it all going on according to rituals and religious righteousness. And Jesus says, it's gonna be disastrous for you unless there's some repentance and there's a transformation in your life because their righteousness was not a true righteousness and their righteousness was not kingdom of heaven worthy. And a a hypocrite, a hypocrite is a pretender. Your righteousness, if you have Pharisees righteousness, it is a faux righteousness. It is not kingdom of heaven worthy. It is a righteousness that is barely skin deep. It cleanses the outside of the cup. It paints the outside of the tomb but inside is corruption and wickedness and lawlessness. And Jesus says, judge not that you be not judged. Not because he's teaching that judgment in and of itself is bad because we cannot live without judging things. But he says that because unself-critical judgment, which is what he's actually speaking against in this passage, unself-critical judgment is hypocrisy. Jesus teaches, judge not that you be not judged so that you won't be of the hypocrites and be condemned with them. So what then is the answer? If the answer is that we can't live this life without judging, then then how do we navigate and do this in the right way? Well, first, remove the plank from your own eye, Jesus says, and then you will see clearly that you can remove the speck from your brother's eye. Matthew chapter seven, verse five. First, remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly that you may remove the speck from your brother's eye. This is an important thing for us to take note of. The self-deception of what a friend of mine calls log eye disease. That self-deception is dangerous. And the cure for this self-deception log eye disease is humble self-examination and personal judgment using the truly righteous standard or the the truly righteous measuring rod or plumb bob of the word of God, of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the standard. He is the one we measure our lives by. And once we have examined ourselves in light of his word and have confessed our sinful failings and hungered and thirsted for his righteousness. Again, go back to Matthew chapter five, verses three through six again then when we do that, we are able to see clearly to help others. And and we do need each other in this life as a Christian, on this disciple's path of sanctification. When my glasses are clean, then I can see clearly to help others see clearly. These are crucially important truths. And, And that's why we've been going through them over the last several weeks in this series called Unmasking Jesus. American culture here in May of 2022, it wants to shout, don't judge me while at the same time condemning and judging everyone else. And as Christians, we are just as guilty of doing this as those who are outside of the church. So something's got to give. And would to God that it would begin with the church. I was talking with my friend David Guzik about this stuff this last week because he had asked me, you know, what are you preaching on this week? And I told him that I'd be in Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 5. And uh, David said to me, if you don't know who David Guzik is, you can just go to his website, EnduringWord.com. He's written commentaries on the entire Bible. But as I I told him that I was teaching through Matthew chapter seven, verses one through five, he said, oh, I've got a great message on that passage, which you can pretty much expect that David always has a great message on the passage because he's taught through everything. But he sent me his notes to look at, and I really liked this from David. And so I just want to go through it really quick, because I think it's really something for us to think about as we're wrapping up our time here together today. In his message, he talks about six ways that we break the command to judge not that we be not judged. First, he says, we break this command when we think the worst of others. Then he says, we break this command when we speak to others only of their faults. Third, he says, we break this command when we judge an entire life only by its worst moments. I, I'm guilty of that. I think we probably are. Fourth, he says, we break this command when we judge the hidden motives of others. That person was thinking this. They were, seeing, uh, they were doing this. And we don't really know what's going on. Fifth, he says, we break this command when we judge others without considering ourselves in the same circumstance. And sixth, he says, we break this command when we judge others without being mindful that we ourselves will be judged. As I said earlier, we need one another on this disciple's path of sanctification, but only as we have a proper view of ourselves and are clothed in the righteousness of Christ, as we have hungered and thirsted for his righteousness and he clothes us with the robe of righteousness. I will be no help to somebody else if I'm clothed in my own self-righteousness. Clothed in our own superficial self-righteousness, we will just cast stones at sinners and crucify the truly righteous. That's exactly what the scribes and the Pharisees did. And hopefully we won't be numbered among them. Father God, I pray that you would cause us to think about these, these words, this passage here in Matthew chapter 7, today and this week, because I think there's a work that you want to do of transformation and sanctification in me and in my brothers and sisters. Lord, you want us to be a light to this world, but we will not be a light to this world, standing in our own hypocritical, superficial self-righteousness. We will only be a light to this world as we are reflecting your righteousness as you have clothed us with it. And so God, I pray if there needs to be some confession and some repentance as it relates to the things that we've looked at in this passage, God, would you do a work in us? And that we would be known by our fruits, as we also see in this passage in Matthew chapter 7, that people would see in us the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, all of those things. God, would that be what is abundant in our lives, we pray. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.